from a hotel room in Texas. This is the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples, bringing you the not quite hot takes. These are more warm takes since I'm on the road and uh, was not able to record immediately after the game. As always, this podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. If you need anything from EPR Creations, let them know. Information is in the show notes. Tell them you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. Well, I'm going to do a shorter episode here since I'm on the road, and uh, I will try to uh, record a more uh, extended analysis of what we saw on uh, on Tuesday and get that out at some point on Tuesday. But, uh, but I, I am going to put together a bit of a short thing here just to talk through some of the, the, the things that I saw right away. Uh, first of all, the game went very much like what I expected on the whole. I didn't think Florida State would jump out like they did, but I mean, I, I thought this game would be about 34 to 30. I thought Florida State would, would have, you know, better than about a 60% chance to win. I thought they would come in and, and win the line of scrimmage and that that would be uh, that along with some efficiency by uh, Jordan Travis would be the reason that they would win this game. And that's basically how it went. Uh, the thing that, that was really surprising and interesting is how Florida State just dominated the early early part of the game. I mean, this is where, I mean, we've talked about on this podcast before that early points are worth a lot, of, a, a lot more in some cases because it changes the way that the, the it changes the complexion of the game in terms of how the opposition can play and how your defense can play and all of that and since florida state has sort of turned things around in the last 7 weeks what you've really seen is is mike norvell and the offensive staff do a tremendous job of game planning early in games to find ways to get early leads and that that has really uh changed how this this team cha- basically changed the way that this team can can approach games and uh, by going up 19 to to 3 early this team was basically in position to and then eventually I mean 20 26 to 3 at one point they were able to put themselves in position where even once Boston College was able to identify some weaknesses and and actually hit some things that uh where they had some some matchup advantages it was too late Florida State had already gotten out to enough of a start that they just they were playing with house money. And even once they got on a bad run, they were able to essentially just walk away from the table at the end of the game before Boston College had enough possessions to catch up. And, and really what you're seeing is a coaching staff that in the last few weeks has really begun to get this team to identify with their particular style and to buy in in ways that are that that is producing uh, a tough team and a team that they're squeezing every ounce of potential out of the roster that they have at this point. They're taking advantage of matchups where they have them. They're using all sorts of smoke and mirrors and every sort of thing to to produce offense where you know ordinarily you wouldn't expect them to have as much success, and then. Once teams are able to adjust, well, the offense kind of cools down. Defenses are able to kind of get a beat on what they're doing, and, and the offense cools down as that smoke and mirrors, you can kind of, uh, it, it, the, the smoke begins to clear, and a couple of mirrors get broken, and all of a sudden they get stopped a lot more 
Well, that's what's that, that at that point though the, the smoke and mirrors have gotten them enough that they're that they're basically able to do they're able to win games and and that's kind of where they're at. I mean, what they did in the first half in this, I mean, it, it looked like and and Hasselbeck commented on this uh, and you know I disagreed with a number of things that he said. I mean, his his inability to understand fourth down uh, decisions is, is was was kind of uh, remarkable. But I mean, as a former quarterback, he does understand how offenses work and what to expect. And he had watched the film and he said, look, you know, Florida state, it's really interesting what they do on offense because I mean, you go game to game and it looks like a completely different off. Like they're running totally different offenses. And this is one of the benefits. And this is something that when Mike Norvell was hired that we talked about on this podcast, that in that respect, he's similar to Jimbo Fisher in that Fisher's offense is really, really diverse and gives him the opportunity to run, you know, some of this and some of that, and he'll he'll change stuff and run something completely different for one opponent versus another, versus you know certain systems that it's all about simplicity, and you're going to run you know twenty twenty two plays and try to rep those a ton, and you're not going to do a whole lot of formation, and you're not going to have a ton of different uh, offensive line schemes and all that because you know you don't want to confuse the kids, right? You don't want to give them. 36 different options for how to block this up front because you just want him to block the one or two options really well. Well, Norvell's approach is closer to the 36 options of, of, of a way to block it up front. And then you rep the one that you really think you, you rep the five or six that you really feel are going to work best that week against that opponent. And by the time that opponent has adjusted to the different looks that you're giving them and the formations and the motions and all of that, you've probably, you've already scored some points on them. And and they out-schemed Boston College early in this game, especially on the offensive side, where BC just didn't have any answers. And, and a lot of it was that they, they found some formational stuff and some motion stuff that got guys, that created some gaps and got guys free. And the thing is that's crazy is that Florida State's had teams do this to Florida State for years. And, you know, because everybody, when you're, when you're a good team, and when you're, you know, when you're the brand team, people bring their stuff into into your game. Well, FSU has become that kind of team that they're bringing new stuff into each game, and they're emptying the the, the bag of of uh, of schematic tricks each game. You know, they're filling it up and emptying it again every every first half, and that's what they're that's what they're doing. And in this game, one of the things that they did that, and and I want to probably do a little bit of video stuff on this if I can. But uh, and it might it might take until the off season to be able to do some of this. But one of the things that they did is that they they went to a lot of nub sets in this game. So they went to a lot of stuff where you have a tight end on the like say to the short side of the field, but no receiver outside him. And and it looked to me like they really liked the matchups that they got both in the passing game and the running game when they went to these nub sets with how Boston College lined up against those and so they were able to get into those nub sets and then get some get, uh, get some really advantageous angles in the blocking schemes using Jordan Travis the threat of Jordan Travis's running ability and then also they were able to motion some things and you motion a receiver outside and then you motion the receiver back 
to the opposite side to where to, of the nub, and all of a sudden he's in a one-on-one. You run him on a wheel, and you get a free runner. Uh, you you run the nub set, and then all of a sudden you uh, you 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 run a little pop, and you've got a, a tight end that's running up the seam because they're they're concerned about the uh, the running game, and they're not covering the nub the same way that they're covering the other side of the field with your with your faster threats. And so you get a, a tight end that or or, or an H back type that's running wide open up the seam. They did some of this early, and it allowed them. To to, to kind of keep uh, Boston College off balance and really create some advantages for what they could do in the uh, in the running game and in the passing game, and that's what led to that early success and why they were able to score. Uh, they got those two touchdowns early, and then you know got the they very they should have had another one, but I think a, a sort of problem, a bit of a problem in terms of the penalty call uh, held that um, that drive back, and then uh, you know ended up getting the safety and the field goal before the half. But, I mean, this game could have been they, – they could have they, – they, they potentially could have blown Boston College out in this game. And that, you know, that of course, brings up some of the, some of the officiating calls. And I'm not as, as – as, uh, I, I think some people are really adamant that the, uh, that the fumble reversal was a completely bogus call. I, I'm not quite as sold that that was a, a total nonsense call. I mean, I, I, I don't know that there was enough to uh, – I think that may have, may have been better to stand than to be overturned. Uh, but I mean, I, I could see that as a as an incomplete pass personally. But some of the other ones, those were the kinds of penalties, the targeting penalty. There's just nothing like that. Even as bad as that rule is, that shouldn't have been targeting. It just wasn't. And you know that's one where the targeting official has to have the discretion to be able to say, yeah, he's he's there. In this is the strike zone. He ducks down, and yes, there is contact to the head or neck area, but it is not with targeting, and it is not. Uh, it is not excessive. This is just incidental contact to the head or neck area, and that happens. Not all contact to the head or neck area is targeting. Not all contact to the head or neck area of an of an of a, a defenseless uh, player is targeting, because it has to be with targeting by rule. And that was a bad call, and that cost Florida State one of their best defenders in that game, and that and and that actually cost them late as Boston College was able to get some big plays in the secondary. That that was that's exactly where they were able to to take some advantage. Now it might not have made a difference on say Zay Flowers one on one win over uh, over uh, Jarvis Brownlee, which was just a matter of you, you, sometimes you just don't. If you're a cornerback, you don't want to get into a track meet when you aren't the guy that is definitely the faster guy. And Brownlee has to do a better job of of uh, making sure that he walls off that that vertical. But Flowers ran a good route and just beat him. But so maybe you don't. Maybe you give up that one, but uh, a couple of couple of the other bigger plays. You know, you wonder whether or not having Robinson in the game would have would have sniffed, snuffed that out. And then another thing is, uh, you look at the the personal foul call where you're blocked. It should have been a block in the back call, and then it wasn't even a personal foul with the contact. I mean, it's just nonsense there. That gave him a fifteen yard uh, a fifteen yard edge in, in field position. Really twenty five if you call it the other way. Uh, correctly, and then all of a sudden you've got uh, a drive that may not score there. And so some of these things, the, the way that the flow of the game went in the second half, I thought they were one possession away from essentially ending the game and blowing Boston College out, and they never got that. I think part of it was because of the way that the game was officiated. I'm not one to complain about officiating, but it was bad. And there's been a few games that have been really bad uh, from AC, from ACC crews this year. And one thing that I'll say is if Florida State wants to, to stop that from happening as often, and it, it's still going to happen. I mean, ACC officiating is just not very good. And officiating in college in general is not great. But 
if you want to stop that from happening, you don't want to have one of the you, you don't want to be one of the one of the teams at the bottom of your conference because you're not drawing the best ACC officials. You want to get the number one or number two crew every week, so you get fewer problems like that, and that's going to come with success. So, thing is, they still manage to win the game, and they still manage to give up. I mean, the the other place that this that this really uh, shows the progress of this team is looking at these numbers. They gave up. Uh, let's see, looking at uh, yards per play here, they gave up. I think it was four point five yards per play. Where is this? Um, yeah, here we go. Average yards per play, 4.2 yards per play on the day. That is absurd. That's actually, those are really good numbers. I mean, that's the kind of number that you expect. And yeah, this Boston College offense isn't super explosive, but I'd mentioned on the, uh, on the preview podcast that this, that this team was, you know, what? They were averaging uh, about, you know, mid five yards per play somewhere in there against, you know, some decent opponents. 5.77 yards per play against the Mizzou team that just beat Florida. And you go out there and you hold them to 4.2 yards per play, and that includes the explosives in the second half that you gave up. Florida State's defense dominated this game. And, you know, again, Boston College got some serious penalty yards, in particular in the second half, that translated into some points. But, I mean, they were in position, like I said, the defense dominated this game from start to finish because, frankly, Boston College couldn't block Florida State. They couldn't block either end, and they had trouble on the interior as well. But they couldn't block them. And this was—I mean, if you're Boston College, this looked like watch this. This looked like what Florida State's offense had been for a couple of years, where you're playing you're playing against a team, and you go, well, you know, might have a chance on offense, but just can't block them. Well, Florida State just did that to them, and that's been Florida State football's DNA for a long, long time. But it's been a while since you saw Florida State come in and win and dominate both lines of scrimmage. And they dominated both lines of scrimmage in the first half. They dominated the, the defensive line of scrimmage still in the second half. And then, you know, offensively, they still held their own. So that's, I mean, that's really, that's a sign of how much growth this program has really had. I mean, it is, it is a completely different animal. First of all, with Jordan Travis at, at quarterback this year. And second of all, the way that they have turned the corner uh, on the field in terms of culturally, being assignment sound and all of this on defense, they 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 seem to have turned the corner, and they've got a chance to make a bowl. And and you know you beat Florida this week, and they, and and uh, the news of of Dan Mullen's firing doesn't exactly help that I don't think, but it makes it very hard to predict for this next week. But you beat Florida, and this really starts to look an awful lot like 2010. Jimbo Fisher takes over. You beat Miami. You beat Florida. And, you know, that's the famous, they quit, Jimbo. They quit with Eddie Grand telling Jimbo, like, Florida quit. And shortly thereafter, Urban Meyer is out, and Florida's got, you know, transition, and Florida State suddenly has seized control of the state of Florida and won't let go for a while. Well, that might be what we're looking at with, with the, the recruiting class that you're looking at this year, which is, you know, potentially a 2011 or 2012 type class for Florida State. With, if they land a few of the guys that they that they that they think they're going to land, I mean, Tyre West from Georgia right now uh, uh, had been DMing someone uh, who uh, who is a, a Patreon member uh, earlier uh, earlier last week, saying, "Look, you know, they they they're really the only thing that they're missing if they land a couple of the guys that they that they that they really feel like they're going to land would be a dynamic defensive tackle, and they think they they they've got a shot at flipping Tyre West because of what's going on at Georgia." Georgia just and then Georgia just landed a five-star recruit and they may not have room for him which may exactly be that and that's a dynamic player defensively who can help 
year one. And you're looking at that kind of recruiting class in the state of Florida coming in where you suddenly have seized control with a win over Miami and then potentially a win over Florida, and then you're the, you're the one team that, that is really buzzing going into, 2011, or going into uh, 2022, and it's starting to look like maybe that 2022 season is the 2011 season, which is not a dynamic season, but it's the season of transition between being bad and being good. And that's, that might be where we're at. You win this next game against Florida, and that's what you've got. Uh, the big concern there is, of course, the injury to uh, Darius Washington, who got rolled up on in pass protection. Looked like he, they rolled up on his right ankle, and he was not able to put pressure on it as he left the field. If Darius Washington doesn't play against Florida, I'm not sure that they can beat Florida because I'm not sure they can block the edge. Now, if he's able to play and be effective at all, I think they beat the, I think they beat the Gators and, and go to a bowl game. So that, that, it'll be interesting to see how, whether he's able to play. I'm not real optimistic about that. So you know, I would favor Florida at this point. But again, that's a Florida program in complete disarray. And that's a Florida State team that has found ways to scheme around problems all year. And with Jordan Travis and the rest of the rest of the offensive line there, they may be able to do it. So I'm this is this is as good as Florida State fans have been able to feel in a long time. This is uh this is starting to get a little bit more fun for uh, those of us who are doing uh, podcasts and media stuff as well. It's always a little bit more enjoyable to cover a team that's actually having some success rather than each uh, each week being uh, well. Let's uh, do the post mortem here. So I'm gonna go ahead and stop there. Uh, wrap this uh, wrap this show. Uh, thanks again to all of my sponsors. That is Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. That is Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in uh, in Carborough, North Carolina, and then Garage Makeovers in Palm Beach and Broward County. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.